0: The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. See, my betrayer is at hand. The gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Please, won't you take your seats? Well, I have the uh, I have the wonderful privilege uh, this morning of introducing you to my father-in-law. Uh, it's been a long time coming, uh, but he and uh, my mother-in-law, Dez and Jenny, uh, have finally made it across. Uh, I could go on and on and on about uh, uh, what he did in ministry. Uh, He planted a church, he then uh, postured that church for uh, 25 years, nearly more, and uh, then he became a bishop, an area bishop, he became an archbishop. Uh, At one point, uh, actually I suppose it's still true, he was my boss, my rector, my father-in-law, my bishop, Uh, that was a lot. So. But I'm not going to go there, uh, I'm actually just going to say what he did for me. So he trained me, uh, everything that you know about me, uh, the good and the bad, is his fault. <laughs> um, but I think more than anything else, uh, I, what, I, what I count Des uh, as uh, is a brother in Christ. Uh, first and foremost, he is a Christian, he loves Jesus, fun facts, his favorite Bible character is Abraham. You can ask him about that later on if you want, unless that's changed in the last couple of years. No? Nope. Okay, all right, I just wanna make sure your microphone's working. Okay, testing, one, two. We're all good. So, uh, Dez is with us uh, this morning, and he's gonna be taking over and preaching our, our series in Hebrews. Uh, but he really uh, did teach me everything that I know in ministry. Uh, and he's been a great trainer and equipper. Vujani, who was here a couple weeks back, he referenced Des and said Des was the one who was involved in training him and equipping him uh, and setting him on the, the last 10 years of his life. And uh, that's something that Des has done in a number of young men's lives. So I count it a privilege to have him as a father-in-law and as a bishop and as a friend, but most of all, as a brother, brother in Christ. And I'm going to pray for him now uh, as he brings us God's word this morning. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for Dez's ministry over the years. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for family and for the wonderful privilege of passing the gospel on to the next generation through families. Uh, we pray now, Lord, that as we open your word and as Des speaks, uh, you would fill him with your spirit, that the words that he speaks would be your words spoken into not just our minds but into our hearts, that we might be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jason, for those kind
1: words. After hearing um, them, I can't wait to hear myself preach. Uh, But um, it is a great joy for me to be here, and I bring you greetings from Cape Town, South Africa, uh, from George Whitfield College, and also from the the Reformed Evangelical Anglican Church of South Africa uh, to which I belong and have served in for a number of years. And it is a great joy for me to be here and to thank John and the vestry for inviting me to participate in this service and to have the honor of bringing God's word to you. Now, people have basically one of two opinions when it comes to priests. Um, Some people are strongly averse to priests. They will react quite strongly, and I've experienced this at times when I've perhaps worn my clerical collar, uh, and they think I'm a priest, and they will react to me. Um, it can sometimes be quite dangerous. Uh, but they are reacting to the religious establishment, and so they don't like the idea of priests. There are others who have an incredible desire for priests. And they want a priest for just about everything. And um, if there's anything religious to be happening in any event, they will insist that you must get a priest. You must get a priest. Now, in spite of the the fact that we have these very strong views on on priesthood, uh, we actually are not very familiar with this type of structure. In actual fact, the whole book of Hebrews... It's almost like the book of Revelation. It's it's a foreign culture to us. And so we need to work very hard at trying to understand what the writer is saying and what he's communicating. And so uh, in spite of these strong views that people have, the writer to the book of Hebrews says this, since then we have a great high priest. So irrespective of our view on priests, the author to the Hebrews says we have a high priest. And so therefore, we need to assume that we need one. We can't do without a high priest. We need one. Now, as we uh, look at the book of Hebrews, the author has already made reference to this. saying, so in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So this isn't something new, but he's going back to it. He he just mentioned it in passing, and now he's picking it up, and in actual fact, he's going to continue from here onwards right through to chapter 10 and verse 25, and he's basically only gonna be speaking about Jesus as our high priest. And so um, as we come to this point and we come to these verses that remind us that we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, they kind of serve as a summary of what has gone before, but they also serve as a prologue for what is to come. And so they sit right in the middle of the book of Hebrews and more than likely, you will discover that these verses are a kind of a snapshot of the whole book of Hebrews. Now, I'm gonna just ask three questions about this passage this morning and try and answer them. The first thing I'm gonna ask is this. What does a high priest do? What does a high priest do? When we speak about, and the author says, since we have a great high priest, what is it that he does for us? And what did high priests do in the old covenant under the Levitical system. Now in the Levitical system, the high priest was the person who led the people in their worship of God. And he played a a very significant role because he was their main representative and he was their mediator. He performed an upward role. He led the people into the presence of God. He, in a sense, opened up the way for the people to enter into God's presence. So in chapter 5 verse 1 we are told for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see this is how the high priest served the people. He acted on their behalf in matters relating to God. And the way that he did this was by offering gifts and sacrifices. You see, the point is this, that the people of Israel themselves could not enter into God's presence by themselves. They needed a mediator, they needed a priest. Because we are told in the book of Hebrews itself that our God is a consuming fire and it is terrible to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, no human being can actually enter into God's presence on their own merit. It's one of the great things that we learn about the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus says basically two things. It says, first of all, you can never come on your own to God. And secondly, you can never come empty-handed. You can never come on your own, and you can never come empty-handed. And so here they had these priests through whom... They would mediate and they would experience and 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 have their relationship with God. And even this relationship by the high priest was ex- extremely limited. Do you know the high priest only went into the Holy of Holies on one day of the year, on the Day of Atonement. And he went in by himself. He was the only person who was able to enter into God's presence. And there was no way for him to sit because his work was never done. He would be back the next year and the year after that and the year after that. So you see the high priest played this significant role because he was the one who acted on behalf of the people. Now the second question is a very obvious one and I'm going to ask it because we need to answer it. Who is our high priest? Thinking of what priests do and what their role is amongst the people of God. What is a, who is our high priest? Well, the author answers this very clearly. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, this becomes very interesting, and it takes us into uh, the, the depths of God's love for us, that our high priest is Jesus, the son of God now the minute that we hear the term son of God it should ring in our ears as we have been working through the book of Hebrews because the first three chapters are really about the son of God and especially chapter 1 where we are told that in these last days God has spoken to us by his son we are told that God appointed his son to be the heir of all things and through his son also to make the universe And the Son is the radiance of God's glory. The Son is the exact representation of God's being. The Son sustains all things by his powerful word. After the Son had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then we are told this, and so he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then in verse six it says, "Of, of God's Son, God says, Let all the angels worship him. This is the one who is our high priest. God's own son. He is none other than the eternally begotten son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so in chapter five, and verse five, it said, so Christ also did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever. he, He kind of just grabs these two verses from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms and he combines them and he says, you are my son and you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, this is an amazing thing. That God's own son should be our mediator. That God's own son should be the one who opens up the way for us to enter God's presence. And it's important for us this morning to understand that and to see that and to believe it and to act on it. You know, I love the creeds and so I love the Athanasian creed, which is not that familiar. And it does have some awkward language. And so at one point in the Athanasian Creed, it says this, the Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. I love that. Here's the one eternal, the eternal Son, The son uncreate. He's uncreated. He is God. And he is appointed as our priest forever. He is designated by God as the one who will represent us in his presence. Now, I'm not going to say anything about Melchizedek because there's much more to come. And I'd rather let John battle his way through that. Because it's extremely exciting, but it is... Also, very challenging, and it is a great subject. But we are told here that since we have a great high priest, you see, that's the only word that can sum him up. He is great. And he is great in the sense that he is superior to all other priests. He, in actual fact, as you will discover when you look at Melchizedek. He stands in an order of his own. There are none who come before him. And there are none who come after him. He is great. He is great because he is divine. He is great because he is a high priest par excellence. He is great because he is the only begotten son of God. What a great joy for us to read these words this morning. Since then, we have a great high priest. This should warm our hearts and excite us as we think of our faith. So we have looked at what does a high priest do and who is our high priest. But the next question I want to ask is what kind of high priest do we have? What kind of high priest do we have? And here we read, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so the first thing we learn about what type of high priest we have is, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Christ serves as our high priest in heaven, and when it says that he passed through, th- there's a lot more uh, behind those words because, uh, you know, the the, the the Jewish people of the day they believed in these these levels, these heavens. As Paul does, it refers to the third heavens you know, there were fourth heavens and fifth heavens and seventh heavens, it all went on, until there was that place where God alone dwelt. And that's what the writer has in mind here. So when it says that Jesus has passed through, it means he has ascended victoriously in battle. He has passed through them all. None of them were able to hold him back. He went from one heavens to another until eventually he passed through the heavens into the very presence of God above and beyond all earthly realms. And he went and sat at the right hand of God. That's where our high priest serves. The book of Hebrews tells us that our high priest does not serve on earth He serves in heaven, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, on our behalf. Now, as we think of this, we can therefore understand why the Apostle Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. (laughs) You see, this is where it's all happening. It is in the heavenly places, and that's where our high priest serves us. But not only is our high priest the Son of God and and divine and, and passed through the heavens, He is also human. Christ now, as he sits in heaven, has a human body. He is a human being. He has something which he never had before, the incarnation. And he has something now which will never leave him. He will always be the God-man. He will always be the man of heaven. That's who he is, he is human. Because you see, we may ask ourselves the question, can this high priest of ours, who has ascended up into the heavens, who is the son of God, can he help us? Does he understand us? Can he represent me? Do you really think he knows what you are going through, what I am going through? I mean, surely it must be beyond his understanding No, says the writer, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. You know, the the writer uses a a double negative to, to drive home the point in a very forceful way. We do not have someone who is unable to. In other words, we do have someone who is able to sympathize with us. And you know, it is, it is so encouraging to know that we have a high priest who sympathizes, who has suffered alongside us in our weaknesses. You know, if you read the, the, the Greek, which I'm, not a, I'm no great Greek scholar, so I re- rely upon Greek scholars to help me. If you, if you read the Greek of this passage, it actually says that even right now, Jesus feels your weaknesses. As he looks down from heaven and remembers his own human life, something in his heart tugs at his heart and says, I know what you're going through because I also went through it. I know what it means to be a man on earth and to live with the weakness of humanity. Again, I go back to the Athanasian Creed. Whenever you're in trouble in your sermon, go to the Athanasian Creed. It says this. Furthermore, it is necessary for everlasting salvation that we also believe rightly the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the, of the Father, begotten before all worlds, man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God, perfect man, of a reasonable soul and, a hum, and human flesh subsisting. You see, Jesus does understand what it means to be a man and to be a human. So in Hebrews chapter 2 it says verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. He had to be made in every respect like his brothers. Those whom he is helping. And so as he as as we read this, we are greatly encouraged. Now we must remember that Jesus does not help us in our weaknesses by sinning. He actually helps us in our weaknesses by not sinning. We may be tempted to think that because Jesus did not sin that he is something less than human or something more, to be correct. Than human, We think he's a superhuman. No, Jesus was more human and is more human than you and I. We are less human because we are sinners. Christ is the perfect human. And he is without sin. He is without sin. And the weaknesses that he encounters and the temptations that he faces... Those are not sinful. It's not sinful to be tempted. It's not sinful to bear the weaknesses of humanity. No, Jesus bore those, and he was without sin. And he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And he faced the agony, and he faced the horror of all the suffering in this world including that of death. And so we are told in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And you and I know that Jesus offered up those cries and tears because he had asked his father to remove the cup from him. But that cup was not removed from him he was not spared the agony of death and so Christ who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death even to the to death on the cross And so in the garden of Gethsemane, as he prays, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Oh, what a heavy burden Jesus was carrying. And we are told further that he was in agony as he prayed, that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. How can we ever begin to understand the suffering and the humanity of Jesus? And yet we know that for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and he, was, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and he was made human and he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and he suffered and he was buried. Yes, my friends, Jesus was human and yes, he understands. I think he understands far more. Because he went all the way. He never gave into temptation. He never gave into the weaknesses of this world. He didn't resist his father's will. But in everything, he, he was obedient. And as we will read just now, he became a high priest who was perfected through his suffering. Now the fourth thing, and I must go very quickly here because I see my time is run out, or is running out. The next thing we learn about Jesus is that he is a high priest forever. I did make reference to this, I'm not going to say too much about it now, that there was no one before Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. In actual fact, there will be some who believe that Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. I don't know John will explain that to us when the time comes (laughs) and I will agree with whatever John says because it doesn't matter the point is this his father said this to him you are a priest forever you are a priest forever and you know Melchizedek was a king of righteousness and he was a king of Solemn, a king of peace. He was both a priest and a king. And so Jesus is, both a priest and a king. And he is ours forever. And Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. We will never be without a high priest, because we have a high priest. Now, after saying all this in this passage, the author comes around with two um, uh, things that he wants us to do. There are two things out of all of this that he, as to how he wants us to respond. And the first he says, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, we have concluded, and the author has convinced us, that we need a high priest. We need a high priest in heaven. We need a high priest who is divine. We need a high priest who is human. We need a high priest for all eternity. But you, this morning... You may be, there may be some here this morning and you don't have a high priest. You are sitting in church this morning without the comfort of knowing that Jesus is your high priest. Maybe you are the the kind that I referred to at the start of my sermon. You have an aversion to high priests. Or maybe you like high priests, but you've got your own. It's so easy to substitute. And especially we, who are part of the Anglican church, and I include myself, and one who loves the, the liturgy and who loves the tradition and loves the history. There is a great danger that we can make that the way to God. And we can do it without Jesus. No, but here we are told we must hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And the faith that we profess is Christ. Christ is our faith. And the question that I want to ask you this morning, as I must ask myself, is have I and have you recognized your need for Jesus? Have you recognized your need for a high priest? And have you come to see that in Jesus that is fulfilled? And this is why all through the book of Hebrews, the author says to us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are my eyes fixed on Jesus? And the second thing we are told here is we must draw near to God with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, the more I thought about these words, I think the author is simply speaking about prayer. Do you pray? Do you pray a lot? Do you hardly ever pray? You know, if we have a high priest like Jesus, we should be drawing near. And and the passage here is actually saying we must keep drawing near, continually doing it. And it is also saying that we must all be doing it. Not just John and Jason and the bishop. All of us must come. And we must come with confidence. We mustn't doubt. We must come with confidence and we must continue to draw near. And you know what we will find? We will find what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus can meet all my needs. I mean, how many songs have been written about all I need? And Jesus is all I need. You know, I was going to attempt to sing this morning, but that will be disastrous. You, you, you will walk out. But you know, one of my favorite songs, it's, it's more modern, is the song, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong perfect plea. A great high priest, whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And you know, this morning, every one of you sitting here this morning, there is a high priest for you. We have one. We don't need another one. We don't need a different one. We have Jesus. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our great high priest. You have gone before us and opened up a way for us to follow. And because you are our high priest, we are able to enter into the presence of the Father. Thank you for coming to earth and experiencing temptation and suffering far more than we ever experienced so that you could represent us, understand us, and intercede for us. We ask you, O great high priest, to intercede for us now as we bring our requests before your throne of grace. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.